0: Good afternoon, everybody. How are you all doing today? Great? It's cool. It's cool out there. Autumn is here. It's fall. It's beautiful. I love that cool breeze waking up in the morning. It makes me feel very fresh. And oh, it's just a wonderful, a wonderful feeling. Who loves fall? Yeah? Did you have fall back in the Philippines? No. You had like summer and then hotter summer (laughs) and summer again. (laughs) I love that God has a variety. I love that uh, the way that He created everything is just wonderful and I can't complain. You know, sometimes in the summer we complain it's too hot, sometimes in the winter we complain it's too cold. Right? We sound like Goldilocks. It's too hot, it's too cold. And then fall hits, and it's just right. But I trust God. I trust in his creation. I trust in his mind. I trust in the way that he does everything. How could we worship a God that we don't trust, right? Our study today is entitled, Trust. Trust. How many of you have ever played that game? Maybe it was at work or at school. They use it a lot for um, team building. I have a photo here. Let's see if you know what the game is. You know that game? Two people stand up, and one person is facing this way, the other guy's behind him, and the exercise is called the trust fall. So without, you know, without looking backwards or trying to save yourself, what you're doing is you're trusting that the person behind you is going to catch you when you decide to fall, right? I don't want to waste time today, but we could do this before we have lunch. Everybody find a partner, and maybe you could do the exercise. Do you trust that person to catch you when you fall? (laughs) It's scary. There's that trust fall. And it's a simple exercise, but for some reason, it reveals a lot about how you are as a person. If you're that person that's supposed to fall into the arms of somebody else, what are the things you consider in your mind before you possibly decide to fall backwards? Who is that person? Do I know this person? Does the person look strong enough to catch me? And you start to think about all the possible things before you could trust the person enough that you're going to fall back, right? There was a funny video um, that I was reminded of online. And uh, father and daughter are doing this trust exercise. And the daughter is standing there, and the daddy's like, don't worry, don't worry, I'll catch you, honey. And he's behind her waiting. And she had full trust in her daddy. But there was some information that was missing. Instead of falling back to her daddy... One, two, three, boom. And she fell forward flat on her face. But that is trust, right? That's trust. Sometimes we're misinformed, and we might go in the wrong direction, but you could tell that girl trusted her daddy, right? So it tells us a lot about how we trust and who we trust. And sometimes we could trust, but we're misinformed. Our key text today is found in Proverbs 3, verse 5.
1: Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not
0: on your own understanding. So trust where? In the Lord. Okay, we're placing our trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do you remember that command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And there's a promise. If you seek the Lord with all all your heart, you will know him. And if you trust him with all your heart, you don't need to lean on your own understanding anymore. You see? But when we calculate and we try to put things in our mind, well, this is a reason I could trust God, this is a reason I could trust God, and you keep trying to convince yourself that you could trust him, but there's a part of you that still can't trust him because you're still not really trusting him. You're trusting in yourself, right? Don't lean on your own understanding. But in this passage, trust the Lord your God, trust in the Lord with all your heart, trust is a verb. It's a command. It's something that we do, right? So let's define trust. As a verb, it means believe in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. How many of you come here week after week trusting that this pew is going to hold you up? I think you do because you know you're sitting there, (laughs) right? You can trust in the pew to hold you up. It's reliable, right? It it hasn't moved. It's not crumbling. But what if somebody came by and started kicking the pews around and the pew started to wiggle? Are you still going to have the same trust in that pew? No, because something has been compromised, you see. You can't rely on it the same way as you did before. Some synonyms of trust are confidence, expectation, faith, hope, assurance. Those are strong words, aren't they? Can you have confidence and assurance in another person? You know, it's like, do you trust things that way? You expect that the the pew is going to do its job and hold you up, week after week. Some antonyms. Disbelief, doubt, and uncertainty. Let's keep these words in our mind as we continue on through this study about trust. Our first section is called, In the Struggle. In the Struggle first verse is psalm 118 verse
1: 8 it is better to trust in the lord than to trust in humans
0: it is better to trust in the lord than to trust in humans yet for some reason we're always looking for people to surround ourselves with that we can trust you could be trusting of people but is it wise to put your trust in a person maybe for a time just to get the task done right but Is it good to place your trust in a person? I mean, people change all the time. They could change their mind. They flip-flop. Their their hearts can go one way or the other. We change so often. How could we be considered reliable or dependable? What if you had a bad mood? Can the people around you trust in you to help them the way that they need help? No, I'm in a bad mood. Sorry. I can't be there for you. All of a sudden, that trust kind of starts to... Crumble, like kicking the pew, right? And when these circumstances occur, it's like, wow, it starts to compromise the things that you put your trust in, right? Let's look at this meme that I found online. If being hurt by the church causes you to lose faith, then your faith was in people, not God. You trusted people to help make you feel welcome and that you belong, that this is a place for you. But the church is God's family, right? So when I'm in God's family, you know what? It doesn't matter what my brothers and sisters might do. Believe me, I grew up with like, there were four of us siblings in the house, and we did not get along very well. We were fighting all the time, but we were still in our father's house, you see. So I didn't put my trust in my siblings, no way. But I trusted that no matter how bad we got, our dad would still take care of us and love us, along with my mom, right? (laughs) He'd still take care of us and they loved us. Where is your trust, friends? Do you know what it looks like to trust in the Lord with all your heart? Let's look at Proverbs 28, verse 25.
1: A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched.
0: Now, a greedy man, what does he trust in? money, nothing. They scramble. The greedy try and scramble to get whatever they need. Why? Usually we scramble out of fear. Usually we scramble because we're afraid of loss. Sometimes we're in this struggle, and we're trying to make everything happen for us, and the greedy man stirs up strife. He will manipulate. He will lie. He will hurt others just to get what he needs. Why? He doesn't trust in anything. When you trust, there is peace, you see. When you trust, you don't need to scramble and freak out. There's security. There's a sense of significance there in a trusting relationship. You don't need to worry, you see. The one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. I don't think this is talking about material wealth. I think this is talking about the richness of of life, that life experience. God promised us a more abundant life, right? When we put our trust in the Lord... And that abundant life, it's not talking about material wealth. It's talking about all the things that matter, that last forever. All the material things in this world will one day fade away, right? But the things of God go on for all eternity, yeah? That's cool. So today we're going to be looking at 10 stories. Very quickly, okay? We're talking about 10 women in the Bible who struggled to trust God's plan. Have you ever struggled to trust God's plan? Yeah, sure, (laughs) like I have. It, It expected me to do things I wasn't ready to do. But let's look at a few of these women and see what their stories are like. We won't be reading the passages, but I did put some passages there so you could look up their stories on your own time and in your access groups, okay? The first woman we're looking at, Eve, right? What was her problem? The struggle was she wanted to know more than what she knew. She had a problem with not knowing, right? Have you ever had that? You're living your life, and you just have to know before you move. You just have to know. If there's something that you don't know, you kind of chase after and try to figure it out. And this is what Eve did. She's like, wait, there's something I don't know here. So she took the fruit, and she ate it. She just had to know. It killed her. Have you ever felt a need to know before you could choose to trust? Of course. I mean, I have. (laughs) If you haven't, maybe you're a better person than I. (laughs) Okay, let's look at the next person here. Sarah, Abraham's wife. She leaned on her own understanding. If you know Abraham and Sarah, she was like really old. She was almost a century old already. And... A man of the Lord comes to Abraham and says, listen, your wife is going to give birth to a son, and you're going to be the father of a great nation. Sarah, listening nearby, she was in the tent nearby, she laughed. (laughs) Why do you think Sarah laughed? I'm almost 100. You think I could carry a baby now? It was impossible in terms of science. So she leaned on her own understanding, science, right? Evidence. Have you ever laughed like Sarah because you know that something is just absolutely impossible? But then, friends, Sarah did have that child. Is there anything impossible for God? Right? Hagar. Hagar, if you remember, she was the, the maid servant, And Hagar was given to Abraham and bore a child, but this is not how God wanted Abraham to have a child. Right? So Hagar... She has this child, and after the promised son is born, Isaac, after the promised son is born, Hagar and her son get cast out of the camp. You're on your own. Sorry, thanks for coming out and helping us all these years, but you're gone. We can't have both of you here because Isaac needs to be the promised one. So Hagar, imagine, she was cared for, she just did what her masters were saying, and and then she gets ousted. On top of that, she has to care for a child out in the wilderness. It said that her, her container ran dry of water and they were out in the wilderness. There was no water for her child and she was desperate. She felt hopeless. She felt like, did you really send us here to just die, God? You know? She felt stuck and without hope. Have you ever felt that you were in a hopeless situation? and you were ready to accept your own ruin? Like you were just ready to give up? If you've ever had suicidal thoughts, that's kind of what it was like for Hagar, I'm sure. You know? I mean, that's some tough stuff. How do you trust in anything when everything just seems to fall apart, right? What do you put your trust in? Job's wife. Number four, Job's wife. The story of Job, he lost his house. And in that house were his children. He lost his children. They all died. He lost his cattle. He lost his livelihood. And on top of all that, he lost his health. His skin was diseased with boils covering him everywhere, painful boils. His physical health is suffering. Job, if there was anybody in the Bible that understood suffering, the way we do, it was Job. But he didn't lose faith in God, did he? His wife said, Job, just curse God already and die. This is too much. How much longer will you suffer before you decide to just give up? Maybe you could identify with Job's wife. Have you ever had to watch somebody suffer? Terminal illness? Somebody suffer loss? You know? It's hard to stand by and watch the demise of somebody. Just watch everything around them crumble. They had it all and then they lost it all. It's hard to witness that. What do they trust in then? Another wife. Lot's wife. Remember Lot? In Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels came and said, Lot, you and your family go flee. And when you leave this place, don't turn back. Just keep on going. Don't look back. This is your salvation. Go, run, and don't look back. But as they were running, they experienced, you know what? I don't know what was going on through Lot's wife's head. She was told, don't look back, right? Just keep on going in the direction. This is your salvation. Go and run. Don't look back. This place will be destroyed. Lot's wife, I don't know about you. When there's change in life, there's a lot of uncertainty ahead, right? And you're not sure... If I keep going on this path, you know, what could I trust as I'm going? There's so much uncertainty, so much doubt, so many questions, right? We tend to look back at all the things that we always relied on before, the things that brought us comfort, the things that, you know, helped us feel secure and safe because who wants to feel like you're up in the air? Lot's wife had to leave her whole life behind, everything behind, and they're being called to being saved, but what's there out there for me? She turns around and turns into a pillar of salt the moment she does. Don't dwell in the past, my friends. The past is gone. We cannot change what happened, but we can choose to move forward and learn to trust other things. The things that failed you in the past cannot save you now. Hey? Eh? Stop clinging to the things of the past. Martha. remember Lazarus had uh, sisters, Martha and Mary. first one here, Martha, she was lost in grief. They sent word for Jesus. He didn't come and they're like, she's weeping Jesus. if you were just here, he wouldn't have died. My brother's gone.. Pfft. What good is it you being here right now? you know like I don't know what attitude she might have. But grief can do some crazy things to us, yeah? Sometimes grief makes us feel like, what's the point? Grief can lead us to a dark place where it is hard to see beyond our current circumstance. We may dwell on what ifs. What can we trust to help us see again? Let's look at our sister Mary. Mary, waiting on unanswered prayers. She was waiting for Jesus to come. Jesus, if you were just here. Why weren't you here? God often answers our prayers in unexpected ways. That, that can help to build our faith. As we hang on just a bit longer, we can trust that God's plans are always better than what we have in mind. See, although Lazarus had to die, God had something greater. He used Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. I mean, like, that is amazing. Who could, who could defeat death like that? Who could raise somebody from the dead? I mean, like, it's unheard of. But this is how God can really come through. We think it's an unanswered prayer, but can you trust that God knows what he's doing? No matter how things go, we could pray and it doesn't go the way that we expect. But God knows what he's doing. And he has something better for you than even what you're asking for. All right. We have Miriam, the ate of Moses. You remember Miriam, the one that put Moses in the basket? Well, anyway, after they were out in out of Egypt and out in the wilderness for a while, Miriam had this attitude, this um sister knows best attitude. And you know, Moses, he wasn't the best at speaking. We we learned that. He doesn't speak very well. And, I'm sure Miriam kind of looked down at Moses. Why are you the favored one? I'm the one that put you in the river, and now God's using you. This isn't fair, you know. (laughs) Who knows what she's thinking? And she says to Moses, really? Does God only speak to you? Doesn't he speak through us too? And then the Lord came down in the form of a cloud before Miriam and, and Aaron. And they said, I chose Moses for this task. I speak to him face to face. I could speak to others through visions and stuff, but with Moses, I speak to him face to face. When the cloud of the Lord lifted, Miriam, all of a sudden, her skin goes pale, and she's, she has this, like, leprous disease, and her skin is just starting to eat itself. We don't hear that story often, right? But isn't that what it's like when we have that attitude of pride? Pride eats away at us. It makes us ugly, and it, it alienates us from everybody that's good around. That's what pride does. They begged, Lord, please save my sister. And the Lord said, listen, she's unclean. Just put her outside the camp for seven days and bring her back. She'll be okay. Okay? But in those moments, pride comes before dis- destruction. Right? That's a lesson that we could learn from, from Miriam's story. Rebecca, she took matters into her own hand. This is a mom of the twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the elder of the two, minutes older than, than uh, Jacob. And she wanted Jacob to get the birthright. She didn't want to see Jacob, like, suffer, because she played favorites, you see? Like, well, what a bad mom. <laughs> this is my favorite son. <laughs> I want him to get the birthright. Um, she's not bad because she had a favorite, necessarily, but she was bad in what she did. She deceived her husband, who was blind. She put, see Jacob was smooth skinned, so she put some like hairy stuff on him so that their father would think, oh, this is Esau, the one I'm gonna bless. She lies to her husband, she manipulates the whole family, and then Jacob, her favorite son, has to like run off because Esau would kill him if he found out that he stole the birthright. Rebecca, I'm sure she had good intentions, she just wants to see her child succeed but she took matters into her own hands, right? Do you ever try to do that? You grow impatient. You're afraid that you're going to miss out or you won't get what you desire, so you, you manipulate and you scheme and you lie and you cheat and you hurt people around you and, and then you end up in this pit of, ah, this isn't what I asked for. God is much more mighty than we are. And his plans are so much better than our plans. A lot of the time when we act out of fear, we don't know what we're doing. We're living blindly. And let's look at our last character, Rachel. Rachel, poor Rachel. One of two sisters, married off to the runaway Jacob, right? Rachel was the beloved of of Jacob. And um, her sister was also married to Jacob, but Jacob didn't really love Leah. He wanted Rachel. And Leah had like child after child after child. And then Rachel, she's sitting there and she's like, oh, this is horrible. Look at my sister all happy with her children. My husband loves me more than he loves her. Why, you know, two wives. (laughs) My husband loves me more than he loves her. Why don't I have children? She did not take her complaints to the Lord. She totally bypassed God. She goes straight to her husband. Jacob, I have had it. She has had enough children. It's my turn. Give me a child now. Jacob, he's like, listen, I cannot make you pregnant. I mean, he can, but it's not him that gives the life. It's God that chooses what we get, right? So it's God that allows this to happen. And Jacob's just like, woman, you forgot. I can't do this, but God is the only one who can. We bypass God so often, don't we? We're control freaks. We compare our lives to others. I believe that that's why there is one of the commandments. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet what your neighbor has. You know, just learn to be content with what the Lord has given you and be thankful when we start comparing it leads us down this path of just like, we have a very demanding attitude. When we start comparing, we're not grateful. When we start comparing, we doubt, things are uncertain, we have no trust in anything. And we feel that we won't be filled until we get that thing that we want. Now, why these 10 women? Why did we share these stories? See, all people are born of a woman. Okay? We all came out of a mother. And the church is also called the Bride of Christ. And what these 10 women in Scripture represent is our humanity. You see, it represents all of us. It's not just women, right, men. This, this, this is part of you too. But the stories we learn, women are mentioned in the Bible. That's a great honor because their lives have a story to tell, a story that we can all learn from. And as we learn these stories, it teaches us how we could start trusting God from this fallen humanity that we're dwelling in now, you see. It's so important to pay attention to the stories. What lessons can we learn about trust from these women? In the struggle, God is there. I'm going to say it again. I don't know what you're dealing with today, I don't know what your current circumstance is. But I'm going to read that first line, and I want to hear all of you shout out that second line. Okay? In the struggle. Again, in the struggle. No matter what you're going through today, in the struggle. Can you believe it? Can you trust it? Like, do you know it? Yeah? Even when you can't see him. Remember, when we're operating out of fear, When our circumstances have the cloudiest stuff, we're like blind people. And we can't see God in the moment. But even in the struggle, when we are spiritually blind, my friends, remind yourself, God is there. Okay. Let's go to John 16, verse 31 to
1: 33. Jesus answered them, Do you finally finally believe? In fact, you're about to make a run for it saving your own skins and abandoning me. But I am not abandoned. The Father is with me. I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But take heart. I have conquered the world.
0: I love this passage. And Jesus is showing them, even though you guys might abandon me, I am not abandoned. The Father is with me. You see, in his darkest moment, right, this is Jesus telling his disciples of his time of death that it's going to be coming and something is going to happen. And, and in that moment, he didn't trust in the men. He trusted in his father God. He trusted that his father was with him, never leaving him. If we are Jesus followers, can we follow his example? to trust in the Lord no matter how dark, no matter how uncertain or impossible things might seem in life. Trust that he is with us. Take heart, for he has conquered the world. The next story we're going to look at, story about Damascus. Have you heard of Saul? Yeah, well, we're not talking about him too much today. There's another character in the story that often gets overlooked. But this character, his trust in the Lord is such a huge thing. And I, I hope you could really take time to appreciate this particular story. Trust and obey. We're looking into the story we found in Acts 9. Story of Ananias.
1: In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in, an, in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered.
0: And right there. It says that there was a disciple named Ananias. Whenever in the story of Acts you read there was a disciple, it means they were a believer. They were a follower of Christ. Anybody else mentioned in the Bible, in, in the book of Acts, the way that the writer writes it, he'll say a man named such and such. Whenever you say a man named Ananias, then he's just a non-believer. He's just an ordinary man. But when they make that distinction, a disciple was in this place. So we know Ananias wasn't just some other guy on the road, okay? He was a believer. And the Lord comes to him in a vision calling his name. And as soon as the Lord calls out his name, he knows that this is from the Lord. Yes, Lord. Right? The sheep know the voice of the shepherd, right? Let's continue reading.
1: The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight.
0: So right here, God is very detailed. Remember what I was saying about the trust exercise? Like, fall and I'll catch you. And the girl falls forward instead of backwards because of a lack of detailed information. But God was very specific with Ananias. Hey, listen. There was no uh, GPS back then, okay? There was no uh, big maps for anybody to check out. So when you're going somewhere, you got to know exactly where you're going. So God says, Ananias, go to this house on Straight Street, look for Judas's house, and you're going to ask for this guy specifically. I mean, that's pretty detailed, yeah? Let's look at how Ananias responds to the Lord.
1: Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all that, all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call upon your name.
0: Okay. So imagine Ananias. I love this response. Because the Lord already asked him to go and do something or commands him, go to this house and place your hands on this person. Okay. Ananias, uh, okay, Lord. But just in case you didn't realize what you're asking me to do. Do you know who you're asking me to go to, This Saul of Tarsus? Do you know how bad this guy is? Kind of reminds you of the story of Jonah. Hey, but this is really bad because he's like, if I approach this guy, he is the authority to, like, throw me in jail and have me put to trial, right? Saul of Tarsus was a persecutor of all the believers, right, appointed by the chief priests. And then the Lord replies to Ananias, O Ananias.
1: But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for
0: my name. Okay. It reminds me of my relationship with my kids. I say, son, go downstairs and change your clothes. But Daddy, my clothes are all the way downstairs. That's a very long way to go. Go, you know? <laughs> it's, it's like that. That's how God is dealing with Ananias. Ananias, go to this place and, and do this. Oh, but God, you know what? That guy, he's really mean and this is terrible. I don't want to go there. Go, he says. And he's very specific with what he his plan was. And as soon as the Lord shared his plan with Ananias, This man is going to be used. He's chosen by me to be an instrument. But also, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Remember, he was persecuting all the believers, and now it's Paul's turn to suffer when he has to go out and declare the name of Jesus. Imagine, the one with all the authority to stop the name of Jesus being spread, and all of a sudden now his life mission, you need to declare the name of Jesus complete shift from anything he's ever known before right is he's being called into this uncertain mission but i think because of this experience it gave saul the faith that he needed to continue on in this mission let's finish the story
1: then ananias went to the house and entered it placing his hands on saul he said brother saul The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on this road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength.
0: So we see Ananias. He had a moment of weakness questioning God. But God, really? And God affirms him again and says, Listen, this is my plan. Go and do it. Without any question, it seems, Ananias gets up and he follows the Lord's orders. He obeys. Can you trust the Lord enough to obey what he's calling you to do? We can't really say that we trust the Lord and then when he asks us to do something, we don't obey. Because in those moments of doubt and unbelief, are you trusting in the Lord? Ananias' trust in the Lord is strengthened as we see him obey immediately. This disciple goes to the man, Saul, and addresses him as brother. And Saul is baptized at the hand of Ananias. You see, God could use anybody to do his work are you a disciple of jesus christ are you a follower of jesus christ it's quiet yeah we don't want to say yeah i'm a disciple because you know i'm going to ask the next question and you know what this disciple he you responded the same way we we do right? We come up with an excuse. Lord, just in case you didn't know, what you're asking me to do sounds ridiculous. And a lot of the time what God asks us to do, it does sound ridiculous. You know why? Because we're still leaning on our own understanding. We haven't learned to trust anything outside of what we know, right? And God always calls us into something we don't know yet. You know why? Because he wants to stretch you. He wants to build your faith. He wants you to learn how to depend and trust in him. See, because when you enter into this uncharted territory, can you really trust yourself? With your fears, with your uncertainty, with your attitudes, with your moodiness, right? Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 37.
1: Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us.
0: This was penned by that soul that became Paul, the Apostle Paul. Imagine if it wasn't for Ananias and his love for the Lord and and the Lord's love for his people. Ananias wouldn't have had that trust in the Lord to go and do this work to bring Saul into the fold and for God to use. What is God wanting to use you for today? What is God calling you to do today? Maybe there's a loved one, a friend, a neighbor, somebody who has not yet come to know who God is, How does God want to use you to reveal to them who God is? Right? I mean, this is the mission that we've been given, to go and declare the good news and make disciples of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Right? Preach the gospel. Share the gospel. Live the gospel. What can separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing will separate you. Ananias thought, but if I go to this Saul, imagine if these words were already written for him. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. He didn't have to be afraid. He was afraid that he would be separated from the body of believers. He'd be taken captive and persecuted. But you know what? Nothing will separate you from the love of God. Do not be afraid. Take heart. The Lord is with you. I hope that is encouraging to all of us here today. Let's look at 1 John 4.18.
1: There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love.
0: Now this isn't to condemn you if you fear. It just means we have not been made perfect in love. And we know that we're not made perfect in love yet, so long as we're still doubting and questioning and we still fear all the time, it's a work in progress. But friends, it says that perfect love drives out fear. This perfect love, when it says perfect, it means a love that you can be sure of, a love that never fails you, a love that is constant, consistent, and will never leave you, okay? This is the love that we depend on. Because when we know love, we know our significance. We know our, our security, right? We know who we are in Christ when we've received that love. If you haven't received that love of Christ into your heart yet, of course you're still going to be fearing. But I got to ask you, why do you still choose to fear? Why haven't you just opened your heart up to God? Is because you feel you can't trust him? How could we not trust him after everything he has done? How could we not trust him when we have all this to learn about his character? Maybe we haven't come to know his character yet because we we're still skeptical. We still choose not to believe what he says about himself. Yeah. The beginning of wisdom, fear the Lord. Don't fear anything else. Yes. The opposite of love is not hate, but the opposite is fear. That's great, yeah? Definitely. Because with fear, you don't feel secure. You question yourself all the time, right? There's nothing certain with fear. Perfect love drives out fear. Yes. It's not that kind of... You know, <laughs> I, I don't want to go on a tangent too far here. I want to stay on track here, okay? And we will talk about this at times. Well, what I do want to be pointing out here is the fear that we know, the fear that we've been talking about in our study today, the fear that overcame all those ten women, right, is a fear that I think we can all relate to, right, at some point in our life and in some way we could relate to at least some of their struggle. And in the midst of our struggle, if we're trusting in anything but God's love, friends, we're still living as though we're blinded with scales over our eyes, Okay. And no wonder with that fear we cannot see God in the midst of things. Okay? Do you trust God to lead and to be faithful to you? How does love relate to trust? How does love relate to trust? Do you think God trusts us? (laughs) Would you, you know, like, does God trust us? No. (laughs) He trusts his plan. He trusts himself. He trusts what he knows because it's certain. We are not certain. We question everything. We flounder we flip, we flop, and we don't live in love. We don't live in love. If we keep fearing and worrying all the time, we're not living in love. Are you operating from a place of peace? From a place of joy? Or are you still operating from a place of fear? If that's you and you want to overcome that, Come to me after the service. I would love to pray with you and allow God's love to flow right down towards you because it's only God's perfect love that could cast out that fear. And friends, you don't need to live in a prison, this bondage anymore. It's time to let go of the fear and rise up to real life, the life that God is calling you to, the life that God has promised you. You don't need to fear anymore. Let's look at Psalm 37, verse 3.
1: Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture.
0: Befriend faithfulness. See, it's it's not just trust in the Lord and, and pray, you know? Sometimes we say all we have to do is pray. And we trust in the Lord and we pray and we expect everything to fall in our lap you know? But I asked God, like I sat on God's lap and I said, this is what I want for Christmas, you know? We treat him like Santa Claus or when we're having a really hard time and we're in our desert place and we're like, oh, there's my Bible. Let me dust it off. And you start rubbing the Bible and and you're like, okay, God, come out now because I need answers. You know, it's like a genie, right? And um, this is kind of how we treat God. And uh, it's not just trusting that God, hoping or wishing, rather. It's not wishing when we pray. When we pray, we trust in the Lord by saying, Lord, you know what, I know that you can do this, that I cannot do this, but I know you are able to do anything you, you want in this situation, and I, Lord, will fall in line with your plan. That's trust, you see. Trust isn't just wishing that what you ask of God will come true. Trust is that no matter what you ask God, that you believe that what he has in in plan, that that's better than what you're asking for, Mm -hmm. okay? Trust in the Lord and do good. Ananias was trusting in the Lord, but he had to do the good that God was calling him to do. And friends, God is calling all of us to do good for his kingdom purposes, right? Are you living your life doing the good that you you are saved for? Trust in the Lord and do good because that is trust and obedience, okay? It's not mindless obedience. It's not obeying or complying out of fear because you're afraid that you're going to go to hell if you don't do these good things. It's not that because then you're not trusting, you're still operating out of fear. Trust in the Lord and do good. What does trusting actually look like? Let's look at our sidebar here. There was a song written in 1974, a beautiful song. You know, my parents would, my mom was always playing it at home and, and we had the music and she, she had my brother and sister sing it when they were little. And uh, now my nieces, they're singing the song too. Um, it's called Trusting is Believing says, Trusting is believing that God will keep his word. And trusting is believing your every prayer is heard. And trusting is letting God know that you're depending on him. It's feeling his forgiveness within. Trusting is believing that God could care for you. And trusting is believing, just as a child would do. It's like giving your hand to Jesus and knowing he won't let go. I'll trust him because he loves me so. That's trust, friends. That's what it looks like. Trusting is believing. (laughs) Believing means that you're doing something from your heart, something from the inside. It's not just something you do. It starts on the inside, and it affects the way you relate to everything outside of you. So friends, when you trust in God, you don't need to be afraid of what mere flesh can do to you. When you trust in God, you don't need to try and trust in humans. When I trust in the Lord, I find that I could be more vulnerable and trusting with other people, but it's not in them that my trust is. My trust is in the Lord. An example, I might have shared this before, you might have heard it. My wife and I, at the beginning of our marriage, a lot of issues, okay, it was a change. So of course with that change, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of doubt, a lot of, we're not sure what's going to happen. And when that change happens, we tend to dwell on the past, things that we always relied on for comfort before, right? But now it's like we left our single life, and now we're together as this married couple, and we need to come before God. But for some reason, there's fear, even in that coming together, because it means letting go of a lot of other things and learning to submit to somebody else and loving service to somebody else. So here my wife and I are trying to figure out this new path in life, when we chose to get married, but she had some major trust issues with me. She, well, not just with me. Obviously, she had some trust issues, but I was a recipient of that untrustiness, right? And I thought, wow, am I really that untrustworthy a person? And I remember going up to her, and she was crying one day, and I just said, listen, I can't make you trust me. I can't force you to trust me. I'm not even asking you to trust me. And that was a big thing for me to say. You know, asking your wife, no, you don't have to trust me. But what I was asking her to do was much greater. I said, no matter what's going on with us right now, I'm just asking you to trust in the Lord, that he is guiding you. I'm trusting in the Lord too. And whatever God has in store for us, well, we're going to go along with what God says. All right. You don't have to put your trust in another person. What that does, you'll manipulate, you'll you'll lie to them, you'll try and show them that you are trustworthy. But friends, if your trust isn't in the Lord, then whatever it is you are trusting in, you'll never be trustworthy enough. Never. Do you trust the Lord? (laughs) Oh, <laughs> yeah. To thrive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. In the English Standard Version, it says, um, befriend faithfulness. Do you know what faithfulness is? Faithfulness isn't just like, okay, I was faithful to my wife for five years before we decided not to be together anymore. No, you see, that's not faithfulness. That was just sticking with it for a little while begrudgingly, right? It wasn't something you could really trust in. Faithfulness is something totally different. Faithfulness is constant. It means again and again and again. No matter how many times you fail, it's steadfast. It could be trusted. You could have confidence in it. You could expect it every time because it's there. That is the love of God. No matter what you do, God loves you so much, his love doesn't change. And again and again, you know what? He forgave you already. He's not going to condemn you. He wants to make you clean. And every time you get dirty, guess what God does? He cleans you off again. He cleans you off again. My boys are typical boys sometimes. They like to get dirty. And when they get dirty and they don't want to wash, they hide their dirt from me. So they come back in the house after playing out there And I said, okay, it's time for lunch. What do you got to do before lunch? You got to wash up. (laughs) All right? You just came in from outside, and boys, they love to play in the dirt. Right? So when they come inside, okay, I'm ready for my lunch. And their hands are in their back pockets, (laughs) or they're hiding it like this. You know, okay, I'm ready for my lunch. And I said, okay, wash up. They're like, I already did. Right? I'm like, when? When did you wash up? This morning, (laughs) you know? It's kind of like, I brushed my teeth already. I don't have to ever do it again, right? But when I see them come in, I'm like, listen, kids, you know, I know you're dirty. Come on, let's just clean it up, okay? No matter what you're hiding in your life, God sees what you're hiding. He knows. You can't fool him. And all he wants to do is wash you up. He's not saying, listen, what's that hidden sin? I want to punish you for it. No, see, fear has to do with punishment. But love has to do with so much more. All right? Love frees us from that fear. When we come to know God with his perfect love, it happens when we, uh, when we open ourselves up to him and we say, look, Lord, this is what I'm dealing with inside. We come to a point of confession. Sometimes we don't want to confess. We don't want to say, yeah, I did something wrong. You know, agreeing, when you say, yeah, I did something wrong, I know it was bad, that's not confession. That's just admitting that what you did was wrong. It's just admitting that you did something. But until you come to agree with God that what you did was wrong, it's not confession. You get it? You could do something wrong and you say, yes, Lord, I did that. So what? Yeah, you admit that you did something wrong, that what you did, you did, but you're not coming into agreement with God. Confession means I did this, I'm sorry about this, Lord. How are we going to deal with this? If my sons keep hiding their dirty hands, their clothes start to get dirty. Other things start to get dirty. Everything they touch gets contaminated. But if they just gave me their hands while it was dirty, we could deal with it now. Right? The same thing with God. Do you trust God enough to put your hands out? Or are you just afraid that he's going to punish you again because you did something that made you dirty? God promises that he will clean us. He promises he is faithful and just to forgive us when we confess. That's what the Bible says. He is faithful and just. So again and again and again, he is faithful. You can come to him. You don't need to be afraid that he's going to punish you. Trusting the trustworthy. Let's look at Isaiah 26, verse 3 to 4
1: you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you trust in the lord forever for the lord the lord himself is the rock eternal
0: one of my favorite verses in the bible it says you will keep him in perfect peace you know in the hebrew scriptures it doesn't say perfect peace there's no word for perfect it just says peace, peace. It says it twice, because this is a peace that you could be certain of. It is a peace that never fails. See, and what I was talking about earlier, when you come before God, you don't need to be afraid of him because you have peace with him already. A peace that you could be certain of. A peace that you can trust. Okay? You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. Where is your mind? Is it focusing on God, the things of God? Remember, the Bible tells us, think on these things, the things that are worth thinking on, that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, things that are excellent and worthy of praise. These are the things that we think on. But if we're thinking on the other things, and then we come to God and we ask, Lord, I'm feeling troubled. Maybe the Lord just says, son, what have you been thinking about lately? Right? Right? Because we're thinking of other things instead of the things God wants us to think on, that he commanded us to think on. Are you feeling troubled today? Are you still feeling in the struggle of things and you're feeling troubled? We could still be in the struggle of things and have this peace, a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that you cannot explain, but it is there in the midst of your crisis. Do you want to know that piece? It only comes when you trust in the Lord. Okay. I love how it says trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is making a very strong point here. He is the rock eternal. He doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is our God. The one that we can trust in. Why would you put your trust in anything else? something that could possibly fail you. God will never fail you. My friends, I beg you, put your trust in him and know his joy and know his peace and receive his love. My friends, God loves you and he wants good for you. Why can't you trust that? He is our father, a loving father, and he wants to work with you, not against you. He loves us, guys. Can you trust him? Go to Proverbs 3, 5 to 8.
1: Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to the body and nourishment to your bones.
0: I love that health to the body and nourishment to our bones. It tells me I'm going to be alive. You know what I mean? I don't have to coast through life like a zombie walking through this life and and feeling like, where's this life God promised? You know what? His promise for a good life with him, it's already started. You don't need to be a zombie anymore. You get to wake up and wipe off the sleep from your eyes like the scales that fell off Paul's eyes and open your eyes to a new and wonderful experience with God. Because friends, it is wonderful. It is so good. It is, it's like, it's awesome, and I I can't explain it to you, because if you still got the scales on, you won't understand, okay, but man, I'm going to testify today, I'm going to declare today that since my eyes have been opened, oh, the joy and the wonder that I experience the awe that I have before my maker, I am not alone, i faced depression. I've been living with depression since my teen years. And it has plagued me all these many years. But you know what? The Lord is with me. You know, it can't get me down. Sure, some days I don't feel that great. I'm not happy all the time. But there's a joy that sustains me. There's a peace that makes me feel I don't need to waver. I could be certain that what God promised, he will do. And he promised that I'll see him one day, that he's coming back and he's going to take me home to live with him. I hang on to that promise. He's promised me that if I seek him with all my heart, I will know him. And I'm still working on that because I know sometimes I give my heart to other things, you know. And every time I know that something's calling me away from God, I say, God, I don't want that thing to pull me away from you. That has got to go. And I take that ugly thing and I put it up to God and I say, God, please. I know that you are able to take this from me. I know that you could carry this, and it's been pinned on the cross already, and I don't need to deal with it anymore. I don't want this. When I'm with you, God, let it go. Can you trust God enough to let go of everything else that makes you feel a little bit alive? Because even though you feel a little alive and you continue on in those sins, friends, that's not life. Sin only brings death. Do you trust God enough to let go of all your sin? It says trust and submit. And I know sometimes we have a problem with that word submit. But submit just means, listen, I'm coming in under you, God. You are the head, right? Jesus Christ is the head. And we submit to his headship. And he is responsible for us. Everything that happens when we are in relationship with God, he is responsible for us. Isn't that awesome? I mean, in the Bible, it talks about the husband-wife relationship. And when they submit to one another, there's a responsibility there. But most of the time here, it's falling on the man to provide and protect and to love his wife. I mean, that, that's the model. And it's not just about man and wife here. It's pointing to the bigger picture of God and his church, God and his bride. You see, because when we submit, Christ already gave his life for us so that we could have relationship with him. You see? He's already submitted. He came down in loving service. He humbled himself. And he's asking us to also give ourselves and humble ourselves the same way he did. We submit, and we could be united as one with Christ as the head. We are the body. Friends, and we could trust that he will lead us and guide us because the mind tells us where to go. And Jesus is the head who's telling us where to go and what to do. And he knows our parts. When your body aches, your brain knows that your body is aching. Did you know that? It's constant communication there, right? So if my hand hurts, my other hand will come and rub this other hand because it's hurting. Right? There are parts of the body that God will send so that there could be healing in the body, you see? Can you trust the messages that God is giving you? Those messages are not just for you. It's for the whole body, you see? Is this cool? Are you getting it? We can't be selfish and think, every message is just for me. No. The message for you is to help you in relationship with those around you. See, when we trust in God and there are others in the body that trust in God, friends, we could have this free-flowing sort of trust amongst each other. There's no fear, no backstabbing, no gossip, no attacking each other, because we're here to lovingly serve one another. Isn't this beautiful? Let go of the hate, let go of the fear, and embrace all the love that God has for you, my friends. I want to see joy in your life. I want to see peace in your life. I want to see God just like spewing out of your life. And that's how I know, wow, I could trust this person because they are in Christ. You want to learn to trust people, right? The body of Christ is the best place to do that. Jeremiah 17, verse 5 to 8.
1: This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who confides, in, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water, that sends out its roots by the stream it does not fear when the heat comes it, its leaves are always green it has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit
0: what a beautiful passage cursed is the one who trusts in man but blessed is the one who trusts in the lord to be like a tree planted by the water imagine a tree planted by the water and its roots spread out and take in everything that it needs, and life is given to it, and its leaves are always green, and it always has fruit. This is beautiful. This is the same thing. Friends, when we are rooted in Christ because we trust him, right? We can only be rooted in Christ when we choose to trust him. Your life will flourish, my friends. You will not die. You will live, you see. And you don't need to be afraid of death because our God has already conquered the grave. Friends, (laughs) I want to see life, man. When I see people alive and thriving in Christ, I know that they trust in the Lord, right? Don't be the tumbleweed. Don't be the bush in a parched land that's just withering away and just, praying for its destruction. Be like the tree that's planted by the water. Choose to trust in the Lord. Romans four twenty to 21.
1: Yet he, Abraham, did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised.
0: Do you trust God that he is able to do what he has promised? What is it that makes someone or something trustworthy? What makes it trustworthy? Your faithfulness, right? Again and again and again. Something that you can be certain of, right? Do you have a faithful friend? someone that's proving themselves, they're always there. Even when they're in a bad mood, you, you still know that they still love you. Their love doesn't fail you. They might not always be there to do what you want, but you know that their love is certain. See, because that love casts out fear. Faithfulness, you can depend on. Hope, faith, hope, and love, these things remain. These are the things that we can cling to. With all this, my friends, you'll have no problem trusting God with your whole life, with your whole heart, with your whole being. If you're not sure yet that you could trust God, I'd like to invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Whatever it is you're dealing with, if you need that safe place, Trust in the Lord. And this is my prayer for you, friends. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to invite you now to stand with me.